Welcome to For the Record, an unfiltered view on current trends and timeless advice for surviving in the aesthetics industry. Whether you're an injector, practice owner, sales rep, or marketer, it's time to set the record straight. Each week, we cut through the chaos and showcase diverse perspectives and winning ideas from the best minds in the industry. I'm your host, Dr. Tiffany Hall, Chief Growth Officer at Aesthetic Record. Now, let's get started on this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back from another episode of For the Record. We're on episode 33 in season two, and today we're going back to our entrepreneur roots. We've been talking about for the past few weeks, business building, business formats, HR. We're going back to the roots of surviving in aesthetics today. And we have with us a very, very special guest. We have Sarah Berg, who owns a incredible beauty, wellness, sort of conglomerate, if you will, now, Bespoke Beauty, which is actually now Bespoke Beauty and Wellness in Montezuma, Montana. And she's been injecting, I think, since about 2016, had a long history in nursing, has made the decision recently to go into graduate school, which I know a thing or two about. So she's a busy, busy student, also building a big practice that has been open for about a year and has just quadrupled or, I don't know, exponentially grown in that year. She's also doing continuing education. She's training others. She's really kind of in all the places. And by the way, she's a straight shooter on Instagram. So if you want to hear about the industry, what's going wrong in the world, go to her Instagram and look her, look her up because she tells it like it is. So Sarah, welcome to our show. We're so glad to have you. Hey, thanks so much, Tiffany. I'm really glad to be here. Very honored to be here. Well, I met you. You don't remember this at all. I met you at an AMSPA event or for Gal Derma like five years ago, four years, I don't know, a long time ago. You're with Josh Davis and you're with Sarah Hamilton. And I met you and I was like, huh, I don't remember her name. And then sure enough, like a year later, you were like everywhere. And then you're, you're everywhere even more now. So it's been a hot minute, sis. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. I actually do remember when you worked for Gal Derma. I remember those days. Yeah, that was feels like a lifetime ago. But you have done lots of things in your aesthetics career. I think you came from very medical into plastic surgery, took a baptism by fire, I'm sure, in plastic surgery, and now you've ended up here. So walk us through where this whole thing began and how you ended up on our doorstep as an aesthetics guru. Yeah, absolutely. So I will, again, going to be completely transparent. I never, ever, ever thought I would be in this industry in my wildest dreams. I wanted to be a critical care nurse my whole entire life. And, um, got into plastics when I was working in the greater Seattle area for a while. And, um, I was a bone marrow transplant nurse for pediatrics actually at that time. And it was the most heartbreaking job I'd ever had in my life. And, um, I couldn't do it anymore. So I walked away from hospitals completely, had some OR experience. So I was like, I'm going to go work for this plastic surgeon where they're happy and healthy patients that just want to look good. Um, and then I just kind of, um, I injecting fell into my lap. Um, at the time they had an injector at that plastic surgery practice and she was going away on maternity leave. And they're like, Hey, Sarah, you would be really good at injecting. You should inject. And at first I was like, yeah, no, thanks. I'm good. I like the OR. I'm good. And, uh, got into injecting and I was doing the OR and injecting together and really loved caring for those patients and making them feel more confident and making them feel more beautiful. And so that's kind of how everything started. And then, um, moved on to another plastic surgery practice in Bellevue, Washington and, stayed just as busy and got busier. And, um, we were in the Seattle area at the time where my, my husband was going to school and we decided to move back to Montana. And so I knew I would stay in aesthetics, but aesthetics was a different game in Montana. We're like five years behind every other state. And so, um, I worked for one med spa in Missoula and, um, kind of started getting these entrepreneurial ideas in my head going, I can do this myself. And so, In 2019, I went off by myself and I started in one little room in a salon. And um, in 2020, I had outgrown that spot and I knew I had to expand. And so kind of took the leap in 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic, decided to build out a practice and started with seven women. And now here it is 2022 and we have uh, 13 women that work for me. So we've doubled in size in a year's time. And I feel super, super blessed. And from here, I don't know. The sky's the limit. We're gonna keep. We're gonna keep going with what we got going on. From here, world domination. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, but let's but re- rewind a step or seven. Who starts a practice with seven people, Sarah? Like that's a pretty giant thing. I think about people who open med spas like a one, like a one person. You know, one owner, one person doing all the work. You were able to get people, and this is a testament to you, to believe in what you were doing, to believe that you could make this thing a success, seven people total, to say, yes, Sarah, we're going to put our future in your hands. We believe in you this much. Take it and run. Like, how does a person 
do that. Like that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I had, I, I, always been someone with really big vision and clearly by, you know, just the introduction that you gave, I am one of those people that thrives off of drinking out of the fire hose. That's just how I live life. Um, I love that. I thrive off of that so much. I'm like, what's the next thing? Like we're building, we're going together. So I, I just attracted a really big group of women that were like ready. Some had experience, some were brand new. And so we just kind of jumped into it. And when we first started, I had myself and my medical director and my medical director injected. So there was two of us for injecting. And I was like, well, let's get like two or three estheticians. Let's get, you know, a couple front desk girls. Let's get a manager and let's see where this goes. And, uh, you know, I'm one of those people that I didn't worry that we were in the middle of a pandemic. I knew that aesthetics would survive because I like how my face looks when it's filled with disport. So, I mean, I knew other women would too. So I, I was not worried about that. And, um, we've just gotten busier and busier. And, um, now, I think the last year, I've really taken a turn to build the practice on the medical side. So we started the residency program, and I brought in two brand new nurses with no experience whatsoever. And I'm one of those people that I've learned from my past experiences. And like you said, I was baptized by fire, like many other injectors are. You're given like a quick four-hour course, and you're like, okay, and now you can inject. And it's like, knowing what I knew then, I would have never done it. And so for me, I wanted to bring in two really well-versed um, nurses with experience and then train them very well in a slow manner where they could easily digest the information and become very competent and confident injectors over the slow period of time in a residency program where they felt safe, they felt nourished and taken care of by experienced injectors with myself and my medical director. So that's where we're at with that. <laughs> Well, which brings me to, okay, this is totally random. So I, I give our guest guys like a list of questions before we go, but I'm going to go off the, off the rails already. So what you just said to me, I have so many friends in this industry, right? I've been here for a hot minute, as many of us have, that have gone through the having no training, right? They're what you said. They kind of walked in one day and said, here's a syringe. Good luck. We'll see you in six weeks. Hopefully nobody dies. You know, very much a, just figured it out. And there's a camp that says to that, to that regard, well, no one taught me and I figured it out. Then the other camp says, because no one taught me, let me help them figure it out. Like you have a very distinct delineation of people who are like, well, since I suffered, you suffer. And if you don't suffer, you haven't cut your teeth and you didn't earn it. And others who say, I've already taken the lashing and the beating. I've done all the things you shouldn't do. Let me catch you up so that you don't have to go through this again. Like, I don't know if you see it in the industry too. Like there's a very big delineation of people who are like either in one camp or the other. And I'm like, wouldn't we love to all get better at the same time? Like, is there a need for us to let everybody else take the beating that we've already taken? No, shorten the learning curve because to what you're doing, they come to work for you, right? They believe in the program. They learn, they learn in this small, you know, small format, slow, steady wins the race. And then they come out and they're a great injector for you. Like it's only going to benefit you long term. So I don't know. I don't know your thoughts on that, but I'd love to hear them. No, absolutely. So as a, I mean, I'll talk on the business side of it as the business owner, this is an investment in my future, Right. Like, and, and let's be honest, like it's an investment in my retirement. If I keep rinsing and repeating this, like having a residency program, bringing in new medical practitioners, training them the correct way so that when they go off on their own in my office and work for me, that when I'm out of that office, I know I'm not worried as the future medical director of my practice. I'm not worried that like, oh man, there's that one injector. Maybe she's going to go rogue someday or, you know, or like, I just am not super confident about her skill, things like that. I don't worry about that. And so I like to sleep at night and control what I can. And so that means it's preparing my staff to the highest level and, and before they go off on their own and are independently seeing their own patients. Yeah, it's just, it's like a cycle. It's an investment back in you. But I think about too, coming into your practice as part of this program, learning how to sell. Because I had Yvonne DeLos on, who I'm sure you know, we talked about that, that people that come into her MAI programs, like, the thing about injecting is like it's medical. They understand that faster than how to sell and how to like almost retail their clients and do the consultation and convince them to buy things like that part for them is what makes their mind just go, you know, they just turn over. So do you find that to be the same thing for you that that's the hard part? It is. It's, it's one of the most challenging parts of this job because think about it in no other area of medicine are we selling like this as the providers. And so um, for me, I, I, I've always, I've taken a lot of classes and, and read a lot of books about entrepreneurship and selling and all of that. And sale is based on emotion, right? And the emotion that we're dealing with in aesthetics is what kind of result are you going to give me with my face? Cause that's going to feed into the emotion that I'm, I'm looking for. That's how I'm going to feel when my face looks the way that I want it to look. Right. So I always try to get the emotional part in the sense of 
I'm not trying to convince them or manipulate them, but I'm really speaking to that patient and like what kind of pain is behind what you want to change in your face. And if we can get to that point and like make a connection as human beings, then a majority, I'd say probably eight out of my 10 patients don't worry about price and selling, right? Because we're coming from an emotional position and we're really talking about like, listen, I'm here to be your provider for a long time and I'm here to take care of you. And, you know, you kind of pull that money part out. And I think a lot of patients get deterred in this industry because they're like, wow, I went to this practice and I felt like they were just trying to sell me on everything versus how can we get you from where you're at to the goals that you want? And that's where the real sell happens. So, and it's also, you do have to become comfortable selling. You flat out do. You just have to be care- comfortable with that. Yeah, we call that the epiphany bridge. That that moment from where you would think you want it until you get it, like that emotional sort of uh, transformation for patients. And I agree with you. We think about beauty salons. I, I say this all the time. Women love to go to the salon and talk to their hairstylist, right? We sit in a chair. How are things going? We kind of shoot the shit, the whole, the whole thing, because they've invested in us emotionally. I'm like, do whatever you want to do. I want to sit here and keep being pampered and talk to. I feel like we've, we've missed that in our industry. Like, it's very, very medical and very serious. And don't get me wrong, I'm all on board with that. But there's also a part that is like kind of a therapist or to what you're saying to say, what is bothering you? Do I have a solution for you? And let me help show you how what I can offer you can help at least eliminate the burden or alleviate the pain or whatever it is that, you know, they're going through emotionally. I'm agree with that. Like we're missing that little, the sensitivity chip sometimes in our industry. I love that part of this industry that we do get to see patients. We build relationships, right? And that's really where you get those, those loyal patients is building relationships with them. And part of that too, part of like the whole, I think the success part of it and selling is some days you don't sell. Like I've had patients sit in my chair and we do have kind of a therapy session. I'm like, what's going on with you? You seem off today. Like there's something's going on. And I'm very direct with my patients in a kind manner. I'm like, you're not being yourself. And then they'll tell me like, oh, well, you know, my mom, you know, my mom is not doing well. She's in the ICU. I just spent the last three days there. I haven't slept, but I really need my lips done. I really need my talks. And I'll hold their hand and I go, you know what? We're not going to do anything today because emotionally, I just don't think this is a good place for you to be getting face altering procedures. You're stressed out. It's probably not good. I said, do you want me? I mean, we still have 45 minutes. Do you want me to get a cup of coffee and we'll sit down and we'll chat because I don't want to, you know, just send you on your way. And so really, those are the patients that stay with me for life. And that's kind of the long-term sale, essentially, because you're building those relationships with those patients. And they'll never leave you for that. No, I think anytime you tell someone no, while it may hurt in a minute, they will come back to you because you were honest. And you were like, no, this is what you need to do right now. And I'm not doing it for you. I, I think that that's a lesson we all have to learn, especially as the industry is becoming so competitive, which you've spoken to a lot on your Instagram. It's so competitive. Everyone's going to get rich quick here. It's like, a get, you know, get rich quick scheme, which it is not. By the way, PSA, guys, this is not a get rich quick scheme in aesthetics. It is hard freaking work. But to that point, as an entrepreneur, because you are relatively new and owning your own business, you've been outspoken about a lot of things. You like maxing out your credit cards and employees and tax forms and your Instagram's cracked me up. But what are some of the things that you, you know, if you're a person coming into this brand new, you'd say, guys, this is your watch out or hot button. Like keep your eyes open for this thing because you're not going to expect it to, you know, to get you. Oh gosh, there's a lot. There's a lot of buttons. I think, I think just in general, like learning, um, learning the, like learning the, the steep learning curve that comes with being an entrepreneur. Like there's a lot. I didn't go to business school. I didn't understand that. I, I guess it was, just, I, I thought I you know, it was going to be successful quickly, but it was just, it was more so I didn't realize that there's taxes to pay. There's bills to pay. There's, there's so much. And the markup on our product is really not that like the margins, not that awesome. So it's not a get rich quick scheme. Um, I love to use my Instagram as that platform to be real with people. You know, it's not to discourage new providers to come to this industry, but it's like, you guys, this is what happens. And um, so I I guess I would just say that, you know, there's there's just a lot to learn and um, take it with stride being an entrepreneur. Give yourself a lot of patience. Give yourself a lot of grace because there's just every day you're going to learn something new and you can't get hard on yourself. You just go, okay, lesson learned. I might have lost some money here. Lesson learned. My feelings got hurt. It's business. It's not personal. Uh, so there's a lot of things that you 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 just have to learn for yourself in this industry. And sometimes you learn the hard way, and sometimes you learn maybe that like you just kind of slid by and and almost learned the hard way and didn't. You know things like that. You have like quick misses and and stuff like that. So I would just say that there's a lot to learn as an entrepreneur. Um, also. It was also it was a big shift for me too because in no other industry is 
the main business owner, usually the main talent too, right? And so that was a huge shift for me too, that I was like grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding and injecting 20 patients a day, four days a week, plus going to grad school and then going, oh my gosh, I'm like not being a business owner in between all of this. So I have to do it from 8 p.m. to midnight in bed before I go to sleep and then start it all over tomorrow. So I think it's also as as the business owners and the talent in there too, we have to like learn those certain lessons of how do we step away from being the talent and step into being the CEO a little bit more because ultimately you have to run your business, right? Okay. So that's the whole, everyone who's come on the show since the beginning of time for the record, that's always the rub is like, how do I work in my business and on my business? And a few people like Julie Carragy has, has been on, you know, a few others saying I had to just take on my schedule and say Monday, no patience. Monday is my I'm the business owner day. And then on Tuesday, I'll be the injector again day. But I have to have now I think she's doing two days a week because she's growing, you know, like you are very, very fast of saying like on Monday, I don't want to deal with patients at all. I cannot do it because you, to your point, you have to have help and you have to have it during business hours. That's the hard part. You can't do it at eight to midnight because you got to call your accountant during business hours. You have to call you know, the tax employment office during business hours. I try to do the same thing. It's like, wait a minute, no one's open right now. It's it's midnight. So I think some of it, you, you're right. You have to rip the bandit off and do it. But to that same point, you're also employing people. I think the other part of being an entrepreneur that's different is in our industry, many people start by themselves. Like I said, you started having other talents. So you're doing now payroll, you're doing taxes, you're doing who's selling what, you're doing coaching and feedback, I'm sure. You're doing performance reviews. Where does all that fit in to just becoming a, just a regular business owner with all the other HR on top of it. Yeah. So delegation, I think has been a huge thing that's important for me. So I, um, it's interesting before I, before I went from being in a one room salon to this big, bigger production with bespoke beauty, um, I made sure that I had a manager and I made it very clear because at the time I was still working as a contracted travel injector in California. Cause I did that for a short stint and I sat down with her and in her interview, I said, I'm going to be very clear. I need someone who understands what my next move is. And here's why, because I'm going to be gone at least twice a month in California working for four or five days in a row. And I need to make sure that the ship is run tight. So I delegated very clearly to her and she's a fantastic manager and your manager is your backbone. So huge on that. But the other thing is, is I had a patient that did bookkeeping part-time in town. And so I kind of like got the wheels turning and was like, Hey, so when I moved to my bigger place, would you be interested in doing some bookkeeping for me too, like payroll and taxes and like stuff I just don't understand right now? And I even asked her, I was like, hey, would you be willing to trade? Because I know you love getting your talks. I know you love getting your filler. Would you trade in the beginning? Because I knew that like maybe I couldn't afford to pay her a salary. And so I, I just felt like delegation of these things that I didn't understand. I wasn't, I'm not the type of person that's like, my pride is so big that I'm like, I can do bookkeeping. I can do managing. I can run the business. It's like, I don't understand that stuff. Like I didn't, I, I'm good at injecting. I know that much. I'm good at having a big vision for my practice, but I need to delegate this stuff out. And delegation has been huge for the success of my practice. And so now my bookkeeper is nearly full-time for me because we own two practices under one roof. And then my manager has been full-time since day one. And they are very valuable positions at my at my job, at my business. Well, they're in from the very beginning, right? They're in from the ground floor, which I think is also different because they're seeing it evolve. And they, I'm sure, have like a personal investment, you know, emotionally into your success because they're on the journey with you. I think it's people talk about retention being expensive. It's not just expensive because you have to retain and like rehire and retrain. It's also because the investment for them emotionally within your practice is you got to start over again to have somebody fall in love with you and care about it. Like it's theirs, you know, like it's their baby too. So kudos to you for having the same manager the whole time. Like that you've, you know, cause you know, that's not the thing here, right? You know, you know, turnover in this industry is extraordinarily high. So they come and they go, but you mentioned having two practices under one roof. So I know you've had this big wellness sort of, um, not remodel, but you know, you've added this wellness component to the practice. Walk us through what that looks like and how that decision came to be for you to start adding in more of the wellness um, treatments. Yeah. So the wellness um, really birthed between my medical director and myself. So my medical director was in functional or I'm sorry, in uh, internal medicine for like six years. And she was just getting so burnt out on, on the whole entire rat race of, of, conventional medicine. And she started injecting a little bit more with us in 2020 um, when we moved to our big building. And then um, we just kind of both talked about it, that we shared a passion for functional medicine. And I also have this huge passion for marrying 
beauty inside the body and feeling good and being healthy and well, and then also the outside matching it. Because there really is no point if you have this gorgeous face and the inside is depressed and anxious and all kerfuffled and not feeling good. There's no point. And so she and I really just kind of put our heads together and she's like, hey, want to open a functional medicine practice? And I was like, okay, sure, let's do it. And so really from there, I wanted, I'm super passionate about marrying the two together and making sure that patients are, you know, being seen for balancing their hormones and making sure that their guts are healthy and that they're feeling good in addition to their faces looking beautiful. So it's turned into this really cool, um, this new way of aesthetics. And so I also with, you know, just bespoke beauty in general, I've always looked at it as a medical practice. And I've really emphasized that with all the employees. We're not a med spa. I've really, um, I've really kind of, um, directed us to use the right verbiage of like, Hey, we're medical aesthetics. This is a medical practice. We're very medically based. Even all of our facials have, you know, very medical products that are going on your face. You're going to get a good result on your skin. Um, so with that, I just think it made sense to marry a functional medicine practice with aesthetics together. And, um, I would say it's been very, very successful with those patients who take advantage of both. Now we have some patients that just do the functional medicine and that's fine. And we eventually have the conversation about aesthetics, but and vice versa. Like we have some aesthetic patients and, and I just look for those opportunities to talk to those aesthetic patients. So they, you know, they'll tell me, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. My face just looks so tired. I just need my talks. And I was like, yeah, but when was the last time yet you had your thyroid checked or when was the last time you had your hormones checked? Are you premenopausal? Are you menopausal? Like what's, and I, I always kind of like find that opportunity to open the door and say, well, you know, we do do hormone, hormone balancing in our office. We have Francine, who's our functional medicine practitioner to be happy to see you for a consult and just at least talk about your options. So I always find the opportunity to really um, show patients that we have an option for both. You can feel really good on the inside and also look really good on the outside. And that's what optimizing your health is all about, right? I just think you nailed the entire industry in the next five years, like right, right there. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I believe it. I mean, I'm sure you, if you've ever heard anything I've ever done, I'm, I mentioned this in all my talks, everything I ever do. I believe it so wholeheartedly that that the eventual outcome of aesthetics, a number one is medical aesthetics, to your point, not med spa. I think medical aesthetics as a word, as a vernacular, as a specialty will become a real thing very soon, at least God willing, I hope it does. But on top of that is thinking about, you know, the vanity of our industry. We talk about this a lot too, all of us do. You know, people think we're all vain and we're like, oh, my, my Botox, you know, my, my wrinkles. But it's an emotional thing, right? For me, for sure. I just turned 39 yesterday. It's an emotional thing for me. I had a whole vial of this part of my face because I don't want to be old and I have to look young, right? That's our industry in general. I have to look young. But at the same time, I'm also now tracking my sleep. I have my little aura ring on. I'm tracking my sleep, looking at, do I have restfulness? Because no matter how much Dysport I use, if I still am tired and haggard, you'll never cover it up. Like you'll, It'll never be enough to, to look as good on the inside as you look on the outside, if that's the right way to say it. But I think as our industry grows and changes all this regenerative medicine, is, you know, these biofillers and things, we're all getting there. And whether you want to believe it or not, that is the future of this industry. And so you got to kind of get on board now because we're all going there. But I think hormones are a whole different animal, right? People aren't prepared for that when they start it. You have to take lots of classes and learn it. And I think what you've done, you had a person who's already an expert come in and do it with you versus having to learn it from scratch yourself and start doing it. I think there is a difference there. But how has that mentality sort of permeated how you look at aesthetics also and like the full face treatment and the whole no more just like, you know, put the cheek filler in and be done with it. How do you look at the whole face now from a wellness perspective? Yeah, I love it. It actually, it has really shifted the aesthetic side of things. Um, also too, like just the trainings I think that we seek. And now I'm really focused on tr seeking out trainings that really focus on full face correction versus it's, it's literally like holistic aesthetics, right? We're looking at the whole picture, not just treating one area. And, and all of, I think all of us injectors, like when we started back in early, you know, 2015, 2016, I was just taught like, they want lips, inject the lips. They want the cheeks, inject the cheeks. We never talked about chin filler back then. We never talked about anything. And then really just seeking out these trainings of, I, I feel like I seek out very natural resulted inject, resulting injectors that, that are amazing at what they do and learning facial balancing versus facial focus, right? So now we've like really shift the whole entire paradigm of even our menu on the aesthetic side of things. We offer um, multiple area and we, mul we offer one single area. And I, I would say most of our patients, we end up talking to them. Like they're like, Oh, I just want my lips. We really have an in-depth conversation about like full face 
anatomy and how it ages and that one area is not isolated to the others. And so really it's going to benefit you the most. You can't just focus on your lips if like your chin needs to be injected because I'm really doing you a disservice. And so I think my verbiage has changed so much on how I talk to patients about that because um, it really is doing them a disservice. And I live in a small town and I always tell them like, hey, my name's going on your face. And so if I keep injecting your lips over and over and over again and you look ducky and I didn't listen to my own, you know, professional like professional experience and, and know to balance your face versus just keep injecting your lips. Like you keep asking me, I'm doing you a huge disservice. And also I'm ruining my reputation out there. So I also bring it back kind of to me and say, I am a, I'm a holistic injector. I look at the entire face when I'm doing your disport. I look at the entire face when I'm doing your fillers. And also to that, I think the other side of this wellness, um, component and doing functional medicine, I really do focus on a lot of the biofillers now more. So like Sculptra and Radius are like our backbone of everybody's like everybody's treatment plan. And I think that's where aesthetics is going. I think we're going towards like the PRFM and um, the, you know, PRP and Sculptra and Radius. We're going to start with those more frequently than we will with hyaluronic acid fillers. And so I would rather be on the cusp of that and like on the curve of that right now than down the road. Yeah, exosomes are everywhere right now. We're hearing about exosomes. We've been to have quite a bit in our company. The exosomes talk is, you know, topical. You know, obviously you can't inject it yet. FDA says you can't, but it's a hot button too. And I think about all these practices who are, mm, I don't know, you know, it's new, it's different, like, but that's where we're all going to be going. So you kind of got to suck it up, buttercup, and you got to just jump in. But to your point about facial balancing, you know, Dr. Doan in Atlanta, God love her soul. She's made that very popular on Instagram. I was reading her Instagram last night. It's like, every person needs a chin. She's like, I don't care who you are. I'm starting with your chin. I have like 15 cc's in my chin because I don't have a chin or a jaw, like zero. I look like I have like, I'm retroanathic. It's terrible. But I'm like packed full of filler um, because I don't have a chin. And to your point, I like having big lips. And my injector said, no, ma'am, no more. Until your chin is done, we touch nothing else. But I didn't know better, right? As a patient, I don't know better at this when this was all occurring. I would have kept saying, but I want it, I want it, I want it. And I would become, you know, upset, whatever. But I had to have a long discussion about facial anatomy. This is how it works. And so I think as new injectors come into our into our industry, we're missing that part of training. No one's sitting down saying, I love that you're going to a manufacturer on label training, that you're learning about cheek filler and lip filler, but you've got to wait, take a step back and go to a training that talks about the entire face, facial balancing, an Arthur Swift class, for a great example, one of these full face holistic looking things go there before you learn how to put the filler the the goo in the hole go learn about the full face and i think that we're still even today we are still missing that with our newer injectors we're just not we're not talking about it nearly enough so that's my soapbox about that we have we have a phrase my good friend um tox presley or victoria presley and i have this phrase that chins change lives because they do you put a chin on somebody that didn't know that they needed a chin. Once they see their chin, they're obsessed with it. And then I have patients come back and be like, do we, do we need more chin? And I'm like, well, no, we don't want to do a witch chin. Like we want you to have a normal chin, but chins change lives. They do. I'll be Jay Leno if we're not careful. Like keep giving me more chin. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. But to that point, so you're a person who is your own education, training all the time. Like you're always doing something. You went to Costa Rica this year. You've done Julie's bed and head and breakfast. You've done a Swift class. How do you manage, first of all, all your own training, but also thinking through, you know, you've been doing this for quite a while now, the need to keep learning and keep growing and keep developing. What do you say to people who are like, you know what, I'm a pretty experienced injector, Sarah, I've got it all figured out. Like you do you, but I'm pretty good over here. What's your, what's your PSA to those people? Oh man, those are hard people to sometimes get through to, I think. Um, you know, I'm obsessed with learning and that's just something that's innately in me, uh, almost to the point where it's like, my manager has even said like, Hey, can you just like cool it on the training? We need you to be in the office. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then I'm like looking at trainings next minute, you know, but, um, I would say to those people that, you know, this is one of the most evolving industries of medicine right now. And we are changing so fast and you either get on board and change with us and be a proficient injector and one that's super sought after and super booked by training yourself. And, and seeking out these people who are changing the industry. At least that's how I do it. I mean, I'm always looking at these people like who is who are the people that are on the main front of changing the industry because they're getting these amazing results. I want to train with that person. 
And that's, I think that's just kind of a personality thing. I think people who, to be completely transparent, I think people who don't get on training themselves regularly, they're going to get lost in the dust. Patients are not going to want to go to them because we are in a results driven business. And if you are not giving those results that people are seeing, I mean, we, we have the beast of Instagram that has all these amazing results that are showcased on them. And to be honest, if you want to continue to have those results, whether or not you put them on Instagram or not, you have to be continually seeking out advanced training. You have to understand how these products work in the face. Cause we have, that's the other part of it is that we have new products coming in all the time and we have to understand the technology. We have to understand where they can go in the face and where they shouldn't be placed in the face and I don't think it's as simple as it used to be in the, you know, the beginning days when we only had a few fillers to play with and we we're like, oh yeah, I'm just going to try to stick some of this here and I'm going to try to stick some of this here and see how it looks. We're in an industry now where we have so many different products and so many different rheologies to choose from and you have to understand how they work in the face and what kind of results you can deliver. But also I think we're like the paradigm's shifting a little bit to less is more and I think a lot of people who have been injecting for a long time who don't want to seek these trainings are putting way too much filler and, and product in the face to re- achieve half of a result that you could do with way less product. So like going to Swift's training was life-changing because he's all about using less product and achieving an amazing result. And so um, I think if those people just don't get on board, they're going to get left in the dust and they're not going to be as, as busy and as successful as they want. And patients have an option. They have a lot of options of providers. And so patients will go other places to those people who are, who are really proficient in, in staying up in, in the most recent, um, most recent techniques of injecting. Yeah, I see it. This is going to be controversial when I say it, but I see it happening more with this whole, I just did a talk this morning, or I was building a talk about core non-core, right? The hot button topic of, you know, of the 2020s. Core non-core, mid-level, which is a terrible word, mid-level versus doctor, you know, DO versus MD, the whole the whole shebang, right? We're all in a caddy fight 24-7. But I find that people who are injecting all day long, no matter what your specialty is, no matter what you do all day, no matter what where you went to school, if you inject and you do treatments with anesthetics all day long, chances are you're going to be quite good at them over time and would be a great person to learn from. I find that that's become a very hot button about, I don't want a nurse to train me. Or people say, I've been in, in core for 100 years. I'm a, a surgeon. I don't need to learn anymore. I, I'm the one that built all these things. Like, yeah, but you built a house in 1975. It's now 2022. Like the house has changed. We've remodeled a few times. I think there is a paradigm shifting even now happening where industry is saying, wait a minute, looking at our podium faculty, our peer-to-peer trainers, the folks who are going to carry our name out there, we're going to shift who's going to be the leaders of that because we're going to go to people who are doing it every day. Clinical studies, different issue entirely. Research studies, all that's different. But our actual, like, carrying our name on their back, we're going to change who leads the, you know, who carries the torch. I'm seeing that paradigm shifting in real time right now in a big way. So I don't know about your thoughts on that, but give us the real scoop on what you're seeing out there, what you're hearing. Yeah, I agree with you. I think um, we're, yeah, we're going to see, we're going to see a big shift in uh, the culture where I don't, aesthetics is going to have all these like kind of unicorn people that just come out that are like, I've been injecting every single day. I I have all these Patreon accounts that I follow. I seek out all these different trainings and we're going to, we're going to shift more from like, well, what's your background? Like, are you plastic certified? Are you facial plastics? Are you derm? Are you like, it's not going to matter. It's going to be a melting pot of like, I came from ICU. I came from here. I came from there. I came from there. And we just, we come in and the people who really are going to, are going to be successful and be seen on these um, as key opinion leaders are going to be these people who are open to learning all these different modalities. And like, even I see, um, ultrasounds becoming huge, right? We're the only specialty in medicine that has not brought on ultrasound full-time for visuals of, you know, not only complications, but just safety in general, right? And so I think it's going to change the game. So I think people who are jumping on like the ultrasound board, even not having like radiology background or, you know, consulting with radiologists for visuals of the face and stuff like that, I think that's going to change the industry. People who are willing to dive deep and learn these things to be safer providers and and give better results that are more natural on patients. I think those are the people that are really going to, are really going to thrive. And it's not going to matter what your, 
what your um, those letters are behind your name. Yeah, it's like asking someone where they went to high school when they're trying to get their 15th yeah. job. I'm like, do you really care? Does, does it really matter? But people still ask that. My GPA, like people care about that. Like when I was in college 20 years ago, really that's important to you. But we were kind of in this old school mindset still about where'd you go to school? What's your specialty? If you're a dermatologist who's been injecting every day for 20 years, you're going to be a great injector. If you've been doing medical derm for 20 years, you're going to be a great medical dermatologist. Like it doesn't matter what your what your specialty is. It's what you've been doing all day, I think, for you know a number of years. But I digress. To your own employees who work with you and for you, how do you keep them up to date on trainings? They have a certain amount of trainings per year, a certain amount of CMEs to acquire under your direction. How do you make sure that they're as forward thinking as you are? I encourage it. I want them to be um, as passionate as I am about seeking, you know, private trainings and all of that. So for my estheticians, there's not a lot of like continuing education for estheticians right now, especially medical estheticians. So again, I do the same model that I do for myself. I seek out these really amazing estheticians that I really admire and I bring them into my office to train mine. So, um, like we recently had Ashley Curtis in my office and, um, I have a couple other ones that are really good friends of mine on the gamut to come every quarter. I also offer to all my employees a, um, a training stipend. I go, here's your money to get trained on top of what I choose to send you to or, or choose to bring into the office. Here's your stipend. Go out and use it. Like, let's get you out there. Let's get you trained. If you ever see anything that's interesting, please bring it to my attention and we'll go. Um, the other thing, too, is that all of my medical staff, I require them to go to a um, one cadaver course a year. Every single year of practice, you have to because facial anatomy now is so important to understand. And it has completely changed how I inject after cutting back and dissecting a head makes such a big difference on how comfortable you feel with injecting. And especially, I think it just hones in those places. Every injector has those places on the face that they're like, I don't feel comfortable with the temple. And it's like, I feel like whenever you feel that way, you just don't understand it. And so really going to those, I loved going to Julie's head and breakfast because we literally were sitting on her front porch you know, dissecting back faces and her neighbors are like, you know, half, half a mile away. And I'm like, well, hopefully they'll come over today. But it's, it was just, it was such a great, it was such a great learning experience to sit out there with such an intimate group and someone so knowledgeable like Julie, that I can sit and ask any question possible about anatomy and really hone that in. So I really encourage with all my staff to, to continue to go to trainings. And then we also make it a goal to go to at least one or two really big conferences a year. So we always go to Aesthetic Next. That's always like number one on the gamut. <laughs> and we're already talking, we were just today during our, our office meeting that we had this morning. But um, going to a big conference, I think, is very valuable as well because I want, I want all of my providers to network like I have. And those big, those big events is where you really meet kind of like those, um, those, that group of colleagues that you can call on anytime. And so that's where I've met a lot of really good colleagues that, have become my tribe that I like, Hey, I have a complication. Can you please, can you please help me? And that's really where, um, I, I've built up a really good network of people to help me out. Well, you mentioned aesthetic next. And so part of you coming last year, you gave a talk in the esthetician track because you were doing so much with estheticians. Like you were talking about it all the time about getting them trained and working with them. And you don't see that a lot. And I think about the estheticians that we had last year at our conference. What an underutilized group of experts. My goodness, they know everything about skin. Like listening to them talk last year, like all the things that they know and the chemistry and the science of skin is a prime example of, yeah, they're not a doctor, but they, you'd be hard pressed to find people who understand skin like Ashley Curtis does. Like she's a freaking guru. Like I'll put anybody against that girl. She's going to crush them like a bug, anybody. And you look at people like her, like they they know so much. But you talked a lot about last year how you worked together as an injector and an esthetician to really build this holistic plan. And I think our industry has got to get there too. I think COVID taught us that skincare is a giant part of the practice, but doing it in a medical way, to your point, medical procedures that are skincare focused, like we're, we haven't, I think we were on both ends. We haven't touched that yet. We haven't touched regenerative medicine and like biofiller yet. We, we've got two different areas to go to as an industry, but to that point, you're coming back again this year. People loved you, by the way. They raved about you, um, which we all knew they would. But to that point, so you've been speaking a lot. You've been doing conferences and seminars and symposiums. So how does that play into your day-to-day role as an entrepreneur, as a, a student, as a, you know, all the things, as a wife, as a home, you know, home builder? How do you manage the time to also go speak and share all of your knowledge? 
Um, it's all about balance, but there is no such thing as like true balance. I'll be honest. Like where, where one thing, you know, where your focus has to go, what I found is where if my focus has to really go into something. So like the focus for the last three years has been my graduate program. I mean, I had to, I had to pass my classes. I had to learn how to become a practitioner, all of that. So that, that took a little bit more of my focus than my business did. Well, now that I'm winding down with school, I'm, I'm able to kind of rebalance and I've been stepping more into kind of the CEO position, a little bit less injecting in my office. But when these opportunities come up, I am so passionate about teaching. I'm so passionate about giving back to the industry. Like you said earlier in this podcast that, you know, it's, I've learned, I've learned by getting, you know, sometimes burned, sometimes hurt. And I, I want to teach others like, Hey, don't do what I did. I've already taken the pain. I've already taken the the lashings. Like, don't do that. Let me show you a better way. And so when these opportunities come up, I absolutely jump on them because I want that opportunity to be able to share what I've learned and to share what I've gone through to help other people be wildly successful in this industry. Um, so I, I just find the time. I carve it out. Um, as soon as you, you know, you ask me to be on faculty, I just like throw it on my schedule. As soon as someone asks me to come into their office to do, you know, some um, technique consulting on, on sculpture or filler or whatever, I throw it on my schedule. And, and so I, but I also give myself boundaries too of like, you can't be gone every single weekend. Right. So I give myself those boundaries of like, what is the healthy balance between that and being home a couple weekends a month and, um, being in the office X amount of days a week injecting and then doing, you know, having my admin day one or two days a week as well. So it's all about kind of finding that balance and also, um, the discipline, right? I think you have to be disciplined and have good boundaries with yourself and not abuse those boundaries because then you really get disappointed and burnt out. And so, I mean, I still go through bouts of being burnt out, but it's just kind of, it's, it's kind of like juggling plates from time to time, but you, um, I prioritize what I, what I really want to do and how I want to make an impact on the industry. Yeah. I think you're a grinder. Like you just grind. And <laughs> I do. I was at a talk with Leslie Tracy. She made this comment. I mentioned it a, co- a few times in the podcast about, do you want to be a lifestyle owner or a business owner? Because it's very different, right? Do you want to make enough money to have your Birkin bag or do you want to build a retirement plan? Like what you're saying in a long-term goal of like practices and multiple injectors and, there's a difference. I think the grind is very different according to which one you want to be. And and to what you said about really taking advantage of the opportunities, I think in our industry right now, to get famous, that's a bad word to use, but I'll use it. To get famous, you have to be everywhere. Like you've got to be contributing to the body of knowledge in some way to be looked at as a leader, as a KOL. And if you don't ever put yourself out there to be part of that expert group, you're not going to ever be considered to be an expert. Like you just got to do it. And I think we have all these fun polls and best injector this and, you know, who wins that. But at the end of the day, when you teach and train others, the respect level is much different than winning a popularity contest, right? You, you're looked at as a true leader in the industry, which kind of leads to the next part about you're building your own personal brand, right? Your social media, you've got lots of followers. You've, you're very busy on social media. You have a practice to build. You're obviously using that format to also help build a practice. How do you balance building your personal celebrity and brand, but also giving Bespoke its own identity and its own platform too? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's, it's not easy. So I, I actually run both Instagram accounts currently. I I had someone else running my bespoke account while I was in grad school and I'm really too busy to do that. Um, it's, I think it's, um, it's a little bit easier because I had my personal brand built before bespoke, which is, which is kind of backwards. I think with people, sometimes they have like their practice and then they build their own. Um, with my personal, I, I try to keep it real with what's going on in the industry, stay very focused on injecting and very focused on like, Hey, if you need a, if you need a real word in about, or a transparent word about whatever in this industry, I'll give it to you. Um, but when it comes to bespoke, it's, um, I, I really focus on kind of what kind of patients I want to attract to that, which may be different. Like they may not, those patients that follow bespoke on Instagram and bespoke's, um, branding, may not be the branding that they want to follow me on. Right. I feel like a majority of my following on Instagram has been a lot of other injectors. And so that really, I try to cater to my peers and my other injectors and colleagues versus, um, potential patients. Uh, and on bespoke, I really try to, um, create an aesthetic and a, a brand that would bring in patients. And how do we do that? I, I like to always just kind of show the culture and show our, our mission behind our, our Instagram on the bespoke side of it and really stay focused on that side of the business and, and what the mission is behind the business versus 
my personal is a little mix of everything. It's like, you get to see me with like the girls on the weekend when we go wine tasting. And then you also get to see Sarah, who's like talking about, you know, how tough it is to run a business or that you're not going to be a millionaire overnight or things like that. But it's so much content. Like, how do you physically, (laughs) I run a set of records, Instagram, I run all of our marketing AR, which by the way, I should be delegating to use your word. I'm not very smart. But then I'm like, my personal Instagram gets no love. Like the fact it even still exists is shocking. I'm like, oh, I haven't been here in a few days. How do you manage the amount of content? Because I feel like that's the thing that people ask me a lot is, how do you make a great brand? And identity wise, you know, you've, you've really set your identity, which is great. And also a great personal brand. And have the time to build all the freaking content. Like, do you reserve hours in your day for this? Or do you do it like once a week, build all your posts? Or how do you physically get it done? Yeah, so I've tried almost, I think, everything under the sun. Like, I've done those planning apps where, like, I'll have, you know, the posts ready to go. And then they get they get posted on their own from a computer. But then those get lost in the algorithm. So things like that. But um, as, for, as for Bespoke Beauty's Instagram, the business Instagram, I intentionally spend 8 a.m., between 8 a.m. and 9 a.m., a post has to be done. And so the week before, I like, I'll just kind of sit down and write like five numbers. So I only post five times a week on that one. My personal Instagram, that one's been slow and steady to build. Um, but the bespoke Instagram, since we're still kind of building it and trying to, you know, build traction and bring in more clients always, I always try to make it educational. I try to do educational, personal touch of some kind. So like do like a staff highlight of some kind. The educational posts will be on something like this is a procedure that we offer or and here's what it is and this is what happens um, or here's a product a product post, something talking about a product that we offer, a product that we really like and here's why. Um, and then like, you know, the, a personal touch of some kind. So here's one of our staff members. This is a little bit about them personally. This is their experience. And then, um, you know, any upcoming events. So I really try to, to give really good value and very heavy value on the on the business side of things. Um, I'll be honest, as of lately, since I've been in grad school, my personal Instagram has just like, I, I just post when I feel like posting. And uh, luckily, like I've slowly and steadily built that up. But when I was first starting, I mean, I was posting every day of the week and I was posting before and afters all the time and um, lots of education on products and my experience and things like that. And then kind of it slowly morphed to like, this is who I am as a person. And I like to go do fun photo shoots every once in a while and here's some photo shoot pictures and here are my dogs and here's my husband and, you know, and then every once in a while I'll throw a TikTok video on, although I don't really understand TikTok. I'm like so new to it. I can't, don't ask me to do a TikTok dance because it won't happen like that. That'll be a a weird day if I ever do. But um, I I do, I do think that TikTok is going to be, you know, a huge part of building a a social media platform as well. So I'm, I'm dabbling in it. Well, dabbling. I'm a voyeur. I don't have, I don't do anything on TikTok, but I watch everyone. So I'm watching you. I'm stalking all of you. But I think you're right in the fact that it will become the biggest thing ever. And I am slow to roll. Like I'm an early adopter of all things. Like I had a BlackBerry before they were even a thing. Like I'm, you know, even back in the old days, early adopter, I cannot get on board with TikTok. I can't figure out what to say for three minutes. Like that's a long time. That's a long time to have content up. We record videos here for hours and hours. I can talk on videos forever, but TikTok all the dancing and all the fun things and all the the voiceover, it's not my wheelhouse. Like it's not how I communicate. And so I'm having a really hard time with it. So when you crack that nut, you let me, <laughs> you call me, let me know. But I'll let you know. But Sarah, I mean, you're probably being famous is hard. Like you're having to do all, all the things. And I'd say that jokingly, but not really, because in our industry, you, you know, fame here is a different, it's not like famous like Beyonce, but for here it is like a Beyonce, right? For aesthetics. And you're having to balance all of that. And so as I think about that, you know, you mentioned on Instagram a few weeks ago on a post, or it could have even been longer, about, you know, patients get to pick their practice, but also the practice gets to pick their patients. And I love that because I think people want to come to you because they see on Instagram, they're like, oh, I love this place. It looks so great. But do you really want them at your practice? Like your Instagram is so good. They all want to come, but do you want them all to come? So how do you, as a practice, sort of dictate how you go to market and engage with people and, and kind of fire the ones you don't want so that your brand does stay true and, and holistic and all the things that, you know, that you're really personally invested in. That's a, it's a sensitive point. I think for a lot of injectors, when I posted that, I actually had a lot of feedback from injectors being like, Oh my God, you're going to lose so much money. Like, I can't believe you would say that. I even had some patients say that being like, wow, that's like kind of pompous of you. And it's like, listen, it's not, I never say things from that perspective. I say it from the perspective of like kindness, but like, this is a two-way street and I'm about to do face altering things for you that 
most of the time they go correctly and they go as planned, but sometimes they don't. But if, if they don't, like, I really need you to be on board and trust me. And we have to be able to have trusting, a trusting relationship, but open conversations and be transparent with each other. And so for me, I really feel patients out during a consult. I really do. I ask them, you know, like the generic things, like what are your goals, all of this and all of that. But if they say certain things, I try to dig deeper. If I, if they say things that kind of give a red flag in my head, like I've gone to every injector in town and I've never been happy. My response every single time, Tiffany is, well, what makes me any different that I'm going to make you happy? Because no one in town has made you happy. There's some amazing injectors in this town that I would even send my mom to. And if they haven't made you happy, then why would I make you happy? And they're like, well, because you're the best and you have this huge Instagram following. I go, that doesn't mean I'm going to make you happy. And I just, I, I tell them from a place of kindness, like, hey, listen, I just don't, I don't see that our, our aesthetic aligns or our goals align and I can't make you happy. Or it sounds like your expectations a little too high from what I, I know I can achieve professionally from the skill level that I have. And so I, I do set that with patients. I say, sometimes it's not a good fit and I don't have to treat you. These aren't life-saving procedures. And so I really want you to find someone that you jive well with that also, um, that also like feels comfortable both ways. Like your provider feels comfortable with you and you feel comfortable with them. I'm going to be straightforward with you. I don't feel totally comfortable based off of this, 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 and this. And I think that you should seek another opinion. And most of the time they don't come back to my office after I tell them that. Um, now sometimes you have to be a little bit more transparent with them and say, you know, flat out, I just don't, I don't want to treat you. I don't think this is an appropriate, you know, relationship to have based off of these things. Um, and these reasons, or you just don't give them a reason. You just say, I just don't think that I'm the right provider for you. I don't, I know not all providers are like that in this industry. And I, again, I like to sleep at night. I don't like to treat a patient and then go home and go, oh my gosh, they're going to come back so unhappy. This is not going to be fun. I don't want to see them at their follow-up. And then I just have this knot in my stomach for two weeks until I see them at their follow-up. And nine out of 10 times, my gut feeling was right. So if I ever just, I kind of go off that gut feeling. I go off of like, hey, if you ever are feeling just weird in your, in your gut, don't, don't treat them. And I teach, I teach my nurses that. I say, you don't have to treat everybody. You don't have to. You want those quality. It's better to have a smaller group of patients that are quality, that trust you, that love you, and versus so many patients where you have these patients that when they come in every time they're unhappy or you can't make them happy or they set these unrealistic expectations or they're they're taking the driving, um, they're taking the steering wheel and driving the 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 treatment plan. They're not they're not trusting that you're the medical professional that's trained. I think that's the byproduct of Instagram. People forget about it. It's like you're going to get, when you put your name out there and you grow a following, you grow a following and you don't get to pick who those people are. And so I have many friends like Instagram has been my best and my worst nightmare because I'm getting all the people who many of them I don't want because I'm, you know, their last resort to what you said. I'm the last person that they're going to try before they just give up because no one can make them happy. And to your point, who else is going to make you happy? Nobody. Like move on. You got to fix you first, right? It's, it's a you issue, not a me issue. But I think people don't discuss that enough. Like at some point, like you said before, my name is on you. You're out in a small town. So if I decide to treat you and you're not my motif, if you will, my aesthetic, if you will, then that's still got my name on it. No matter if I thought you were crazy or not, my name is still on it. Like, and then it's too late to pull it back. So I think, you know, you're also obviously very busy and practices who aren't busy yet are trying to get whatever they can in the door to make money, to become a viable practice. And I get that you got to make revenue. But you also have to decide today as a new practice owner, you know, whoever you are on day one, who you want to be when you grow up. And you got to kind of stick with it. And you mentioned mission and vision before, you know, really living out your vision statement, your mission statement. I think you have to know that when you open the doors to your practice and hang your shingle, you have to know who you want to be or else all that stuff gets in the way. And then you look up in two years, it's like, wait a minute, this is not what I, what I wanted to build at all. It's something totally different because you couldn't stick to your gun. So I think there is a part of the Instagram celebrityness that makes it hard to stick to your guns many times and hard to, to turn down the business because you're like, oh my gosh, I've turned down six patients this week. Yeah, but that's six reasons you wouldn't have slept last night, right? You wouldn't have had had a good outcome or you'd had a knot in your stomach for two weeks. So I think there's it's a good and a bad. You got to kind of weigh your options there, but that's six potential one-star reviews on mm. Google, right? So like really pick pick your patients carefully because again, another part of this industry is so hard is like you could give a patient a really great result, but they really, they maybe they hate their result and you think it's a great result. They can still go out and write a one-star review. And then you're like, crap, like I should have never touched that patient. And like, I just don't, I want to try to avoid that scenario as much as I can is I never want to be like, crap, I should have never touched their face. I should have never touched their face. 
I hate that feeling. It's just the worst feeling in the world. I'd rather just be not as busy. That's where I think having before and afters online is so important. Like, this is what my work looks like. This is what I do. And if you want some ridiculous giant lip or big cheek or whatever it is that you think you want, if it's not in these pictures, chances are I don't do that. Because I think a lot of injectors don't put B&As out there on Instagram. Like, you've got to put B&As out there because you got to let people know what kind of thing to expect with you. So don't come in with one idea and you're a whole different idea and it doesn't jive. So yeah, I think there's ways that you can kind of preemptively protect yourself. But I think that Instagram, I looked at that post because it had a lot of engagement. I'm sure people were like, what is she saying? Oh my gosh, she's going to make everybody mad. But the truth is the truth, whether you like it or not, you know? I'm not one to fluff things up. I'm just like, it is what it, like you guys do get to choose at the end of the day. And I put stuff out there too for like newer injectors to know, like feel empowered in yourself. Don't don't get in a position where you feel like you do have to take every single patient. And 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 I think that's another reason I did I did decide to do my own practice because I have worked at places before where it was like almost like a conveyor belt. It's like everyone that came in the door got a needle in their face, regardless of what their budget was, regardless of what they wanted. It was more like and that was when I as was a new as a new injector was like, sure, here's the steering wheel. You decide what do you want? OK, I'll do it. And, it, and then I was just like, oh, my gosh, I don't feel empowered at all. Yeah, it was the point of you learning all these things, right? If you don't get to make the decisions, it makes no sense to me. Yeah. But people people do that. But, you know, as we kind of wind down, because I told you I would just go on forever. But two things I want to cover, first of all. One is like your tribe. You've mentioned it a few times, like Tox Presley. I know there's a big group of you guys who are very tight-knit, very, you know, connected. How did you find your tribe, number one? And what is the benefit for you thinking about, you know, along this journey of chaos that we're all living here, having those friends with you who want the best interest for you? Because I think a lot of people can't find their tribe. They're desperately searching for one. and They can't find people anywhere who kind of believe with them and are on the journey with them. So number one, one thing I tell, because I have, I have people reach out to me all the time and they're like, how did you, they say the same thing. How'd you find your tribe? Like, how do you have all these really great friends in the industry? And I think part of it was one when I started 2015, 2016, like not a lot of people had Instagram. So it's like kind of as like I found like talks Josh on Instagram, like we became friends. I think he was the first person in the world who introduced me to like Mizzy Cosmetics and he sent me some. And so like I still remember that bond of like, wow, this guy's like really nice. He seems great. So it was just organic. Every single tribe member that I've met has been organic. And so I have lots of different people that I've met who have become my big tribe. And a lot of them have been at these various training opportunities that I've had throughout my life. So I have a great group of girls or gals that I met down in Costa Rica. Um, uh, Nicola Lowry brought us all down there and I didn't really know anybody who was going down there until we got down there. And, and I became really close knit with these girls. And now like every quarter we try to go meet up somewhere, whether it's Chicago or Miami or whatever, we go to a training together and see each other. So these, these relationships happen organically. You know, I met Tox Presley through, through Tox Josh. And so these people just become great friends. And I think I look for those characteristics and values that I share, that I have in myself that I share with them, you know, of being transparent with patients, practicing safe aesthetic medicine, um, and, and just being a good person. Right. And so sometimes in this industry, we have to kind of like dig through the, the people in this industry and, and really know what their true intention is. And, um, I'm just, I feel like I'm very intuitive reading that in people. And so when I find someone like that and then I find a kindred spirit, I, I hold tight to them and I'm like, Hey, what's your phone number? Can, can we hang out? Can we be friends? Like, you know, how, how do I, how do I, you know, stay in touch with you? And so, and then I just plan around, um, when I go to things like aesthetic next, I text the people that I know would probably be there and I'm like, Hey, let's get dinner while we're here. So I always make sure that I'm connecting with them too, on that level of like, we, we get to see each other. We get to connect a couple times a year, but also we stay in touch as well. So I, I, I tell people, you know, don't get discouraged. Just let them organically happen, but um, find those people that you align with, with morals and values and um, your intention in this industry. And, and it will organically happen. Um, also starting those IG pod, you know, a lot of people belong to IG pod, like message groups that are like a bunch of injectors that um, help support each other, like each other's posts, comment on each other's posts. I've been terrible with my IG pod since I've been in grad school, just because I haven't had time um, to to comment on everybody's stuff. But still staying in touch, and it's they're great pods to have when when um, crap hits the fan and you're trying to like figure out like, hey, who knows somebody in you know Buffalo, New York area? I have a vascular occlusion. I need help. And like so, even through those pods, I've been able to help connect people to like. Rana or Julie and like, be like, Hey, can you please help this person? Like they, they have a vascular occlusion. They need help, things like that. So I think just building that tribe and also connecting people when they need help 
really it makes a huge difference of, of making this industry better. Well, I think finding them where you like to go, like like Nicola's retreat, right? You found people who are like you because there's a thing that you liked, learning more, and it costs money. Obviously, these things are not free, right? So they're investing in their education. They're front and center in these exclusive events. Like they're doing the things that you're doing. So chances are you have some sort of a kindred spirit, you know, at some level together. I don't know. I feel like that's what I think people I always say, well, where would a person go that you'd like to meet? Oh, to the Arthur Swift training. Well, then go to the Arthur Swift training. Like, go there. It's like when you want to find a girlfriend, like, go where she's going to be and you might find her. It's a, it's like dating, right? It's the same kind of thing. But I find people who are like, they're not going to come to your practice, knock on the front door. In fact, hey, I'm going to be your friend. You've got to go seek them out, like-minded people who will do things that obviously that you're wanting to do also. So, and I think you've picked some really great events that have incredible people who go to them. And, you know, you've, you've, you've got the cream of the crop there, especially your group of friends is definitely the cream of the crop. But and you guys are all very, very tight knit. I know you're always on each other's Instagrams and doing things. So I think that makes it makes the hard days here more bearable when you have a, a group and a tribe. But to that point, as I wrap up here, grad school, you mentioned it a few times. What possessed you, a successful business owner, to think, geez, I'm going to go back and just take the beating that is grad school and finish that all up? Like, why did you think you needed it, first of all? And what has that experience been like as a working practitioner and business owner and also a full-time student? So um, grad school was a wild hair that I kind of chose to go with. Uh, I was one year into pra- opening my practice, having my practice, well, a little bit less than that. But um, I wanted to be my own medical director. Short of it is I wanted to be my own medical director and a business owner. I think my personality wise of like, I can take on anything and I can take on a lot of things at once was, um, I want to be able to own my practice, run it, be the medical director, and I can just get it done. It's three years, sacrifice it in that short period of time, get it done, be able to run and own the practice. Um, in the state of Montana, nurse practitioners can be independent practitioners. So it would be the highest level of my education achievement and just be done with it. So that was, that's the short of it. But then, you know, like there's been three grueling years of going through, it's been a huge test of like truly how much I love my practice and how dedicated I am to it because I'm having to learn all of these things about becoming a nurse practitioner just to achieve the fact that I'll be the medical director and probably go back to doing what I'm doing and then seek out my own continuing and advancing education. So it really has been a true, a true test of, of how much I really love my practice and how, how I really want it for the long run. Yeah. I think as States, we look at legislation across the country. I think there'll be, there will be a day where RNs won't be allowed to practice in aesthetics without having either direct supervision or very limited scope of practice that we're seeing in other States. Now, Louisiana passed a law. I think uh, Massachusetts has the same law where you have to have an MPPA or MDDO doing it. You can't do it if you're an RN, which is a shame in many cases, right? Because you guys have been injecting for, you know, again, back to my point about licensure is a whole different animal, but it's just the way the law goes. Like whether we like it or not, it doesn't really matter, right? It's just the law. You can't, and you can't fight the medical board. You can't lobby against them. The nursing board tries really hard, but at some point medical boards, you know, can triumph. So I think it's a great decision. I think it's, you know, the writing is on the wall again in many cases, but also because now you can medical direct multiple practices. You can keep growing and building your brand. You're not tied to anything besides just you. I know you have a great medical director now, but you can keep growing and expanding without having to, you know, have other things involved. So I think it's a great choice. I'm sure a huge investment of time and money and and you're almost done. What is it? Five weeks and you're done. Yeah, I, I will graduate in five weeks and then, you know, hopefully by June I'm licensed and then on to the next thing. Right. I mean, who knows what that is? <laughs> You'll find another shit storm to jump into, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, girl, I got a list of projects and things I want to do in my life. So we'll get it done. Well, to that point, as we wrap <laughs> up here, what's next for you? Another practice? What's the next big thing? You know, right now, what's next is really diving into the being the CEO of the business. And that's as far as I can go. But, um, you know, I, I definitely think um, big projects that are coming up next in the next anywhere three, five years, I really want to give back to the industry. I really want to um, teach the techniques and um, the skills that have been passed down to me from some really great trainers. So whatever that looks like, we'll see. But um, getting my nurses through their residency program and then really seeing um, where we where we grow from there. So, so I'm hearing a training institutions coming up. No, I won't, I won't put words we'll in your see. mouth. But that's what it sounds like to me. Don't quote me. <laughs> Well, we're here to help if you need us. We, we we are all about that. But for the record, you've been a fantastic guest, as I knew you would be. I feel like I've watched you blossom. I mean, really, I think the word is blossom. I've watched you blossom over the last several years and really come into your own. And 
again, be the, the CEO and like build a business, but also become a great injector and learning and growing and developing. So yeah, I look at you and think from where you started till now of me knowing you, you've like had this whole transition or, or metamorphosis, if you will, and a testament to your hard work and just doing it, like just grinding it out every day and figuring out how to get it done without a formal business degree, without having all the, the things in place before you got started, you just freaking went <laughs> in, in the pandemic of all things. So a testament to that people, it is very hard work very hard work, but you have successfully done it. And for that, congratulations. And I can't wait to see what happens in the next three to five years. If, I think it's going to be more like two to three, personally, knowing your personality. But what do I know? <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Well, it's been an honor to be on here. And um, I look forward to seeing you in September. Yeah, guys, you'll have to come check Sarah out. Aesthetic Next. She's going to be there in all her amazing boss colors talking about what she's doing and how she's building it all. So come, come learn more of her secret recipe. Yes, thank you. Well, we will see you guys all next week. And again, Sarah, thank you so much. We'll be back again for For the Record. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of For the Record. This podcast is not intended to provide legal or medical advice. It's for entertainment, education, and information purposes only. For more information on this week's guest or to get started with Aesthetic Record, email us at info at aestheticrecord.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more fresh perspectives on disrupting the status quo and surviving in the aesthetics industry.